From Brennan to the Boca Chill, from Lamy to La Push, and from the lordly Sawduck to lovely Duckabush, from Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillacine. The climate is so friendly, it's a land that's evergreen. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Evergreen State podcast. I'm your host, John C., and thank you for joining me today for episode 71, Takayuki Takasau and the First Airplane Built in Seattle. Takayuki Takasau was born in Yamanashi Prefecture on the 25th of June, 1886, and when he was a very young boy, his parents got divorced, and by the time that he reached the age of three years old, his mother, named Chio, had remarried. Takayuki had always been a sort of troublemaker, but this new adjustment was hard for the young boy and his relationship with his new stepfather was tenuous at best. By 1892, Takayuki had become far too unruly and was placed in the care of a temple in the Yamagata prefecture in the care of monks, maybe with the intentions of growing up to be one himself. This plan, however, backfired and the young Takayuki became even more rebellious and the priests never gained any semblance of control over the boy. In just under a year, he was forced to move back to his family's home and be under their care again. This wasn't to be for long, though, and soon, the young boy ended up being sent to live with his aunt. This relative of his owned and operated a bicycle repair shop that was located in Tokyo in the Kayobashi district, to be a little more exact. This is when Takayuki began to thrive, and when he wasn't riding bicycles all over the growing city of Tokyo, he was helping out his aunt eagerly at her bicycle repair shop. Once he finished elementary school, he ended up attending the facility of commerce and industry of J.O. Juko, which later became a university, but eventually he dropped out. By the time he turned 18 years old in 1905, Takayuki began working at the very recently established Tokyo Automobile Manufacturing Works. It's been widely reported that it was during his employment with this company that Takayuki became the first person in Japan to ever drive an automobile. By the time that he was 21 years old, Takayuki had began dreaming of moving to Seattle where he would chase his dreams of designing and building airplanes, which he also really wanted to fly himself. The year was 1908 and Takayuki had saved enough of his prize money from racing bicycles around Tokyo that he decided it was time to move to Seattle in the far-off Evergreen State. He received additional help from a generous benefactor by the name of Horitoshi Omiya, Now, just keep in mind that this was 1908 and just five years prior, the Wright brothers had made their first flight, so taking to the air in these new aeroplanes was still quite a new adventure, and it must have hooked the young Takayuki in as soon as he heard of what the Wright brothers did. Soon after reaching Seattle, Takayuki was hired to work as a chauffeur by the president of the Oriental Trading Company, C.J. Takahashi, and Takayuki also began to work around this time as a taxi driver to supplement his earnings as a chauffeur. Despite these two jobs, Takayuki was able to devote significant amounts of time to his growing ambitions in the field of designing, building, and flying his crewed airplanes. To help his sights expand in the field, he also traveled frequently down to California, which even back then was a hub for the rapidly expanding airplane business. It was on one trip down to San Francisco sometime in 1908 that Takayuki placed an ad in a Fresno newspaper seeking work as a chauffeur or automobile mechanic where he further stated that he had five years of previous experience and made it clear he wanted no less than $40 per week. 
Takayuki was back in Seattle by the spring of 1910 when he acted as one of two witnesses for 15 marriage between what was then referred to as picture brides and Japanese men. The brides were Japanese women who crossed the Pacific with the sole purpose of marrying men when they arrived at their destinations. One of the witnesses was listed as George T. Takasau, which was the name that he would use while he lived in America. During this time, he resided at the Great Northern Hotel that was located in Pioneer Square, and he later had a home-slash-workshop that was on Maynard Street, in addition to a small hangar Takayuki had on Harbor Island, which is actually where he began to build the first airplane that would ever be built in Seattle, beating William Boeing by several years. The first airplane that Takayuki constructed was a biplane named the Takasau No. 1 Aeroplane and was constructed using a bamboo pole framework that was made with bamboo imported from Asia. This meant that the Takasau No. 1 was far lighter than the aeroplane that the Wright brothers built and flew in their groundbreaking achievement since their frame was built using metal. Also included in the Takasau No. 1 was the use of specially manufactured cloth that was chosen specifically for its aerodynamic qualities. A propeller that was 7 feet long would be attached to the driving rod of the engine, and piano wires braced the structure that was mounted on flimsy bicycle wheels. The engine was a small four-cylinder L-bridge and was located near the rear of the Takasau No. 1. Also included in the design was a Wright Brothers vertical rudder and a Curtis horizontal rudder. This plane weighed in at just 578 pounds and cost Takayuki $1,800 to build. He hilariously told reporters that it was the first airplane that he had ever seen, let alone flown, but that's exactly what he was planning to do. In late April of 1911, Mr. Takasau made his very first successful trial flight, which actually took place in the Long Gone community of Thomas, which was located between Kent and Auburn in the heart of the Fertile Valley. Thomas was an area that attracted a lot of Japanese and Japanese Americans, who owned expansive farms and dairies in the area. It's around this time that up to 65% of all the Japanese farms located in the Evergreen State were right there in the Auburn-Kent-Renton area, but today, few, if any, remain. The community of Thomas was named after John Mitchelltree Thomas, who came to the Oregon Territory from Kentucky. He built a small cabin which was not far from a Native American village known as Popsholku. John Mitchelltree Thomas and his wife Nancy moved in on the 17th of July, 1854, becoming the first white couple to homestead in the valley. That fall, Native Americans attacked the area settlers, killing a number of them. This resulted in an army fort being built at Thomas in 1855. The logs used to construct Fort Thomas were shipped up from Fort Stillicum under the direct supervision of Lieutenant William Slaughter. After his death at the hands of Native Americans, the growing community that is now called Auburn was named Slaughter, and for a time featured a hotel lovingly named the Slaughterhouse. Can you imagine if it was still named Slaughter today? Decades later, a train station would be constructed in Thomas for passengers commuting on the interurban railroad line that ran through the valley between Seattle and Tacoma. The community would also be known as Thomas Station, Pialshi, Louisville, and just plain Washington. But this episode isn't really about Thomas, so let me get back to the topic at hand. The United Press, which operated an extensive wire service at the time, widely reported Takasau's flight, which was actually datelined from the 27th of April 1911 and was picked up by newspapers across the nation and even received reporting in Europe and back in Japan. Over the next couple of days following that first test flight, Mr. Takasau tinkered and improved on his original design and was finally feeling ready to venture up into the clouds once again. 
Just a couple of minutes into the second flight, however, the plane ran into a patch of moderate wind, which pitched Mr. Takasau's plane and sending it completely sideways while he was about 80 feet up in the air. This meant that Takasau had to make an emergency landing, and when the plane made contact with the ground, Takasau jumped clear of it and landed bruised and sprawled in the dirt while the plane was a total wreck. He told the gathered members of the local press quite calmly, who were taken aback by his cool demeanor, that it felt like a shot, and some way I jumped clear of it. He then went on to tell them all that he would need about two months to design and construct the Takasau No. 2. He finished by telling the reporters that with the wreck of the Takasau No. 1, he was out nearly $700, quite a significant sum of money for the day. He was able to salvage the engine, but everything else, including the imported bamboo poles, were a total loss. To help Mr. Takasau and his growing aviation interests, some leading Japanese businessmen in Seattle went on to form the Japanese Aviation Takasau Club and quickly began to support and raise money for his work. They actually fully funded a trip for Mr. Takasau to attend an aviation school down in Los Angeles. It was at this California school that Mr. Takasau took part in a flying competition, which he did so in his own plane, a feat none of the other competitors could claim for that day. When he made his way back home to Seattle, he was quickly touted as the man to curate the first successful built-in Seattle air machine and was lovingly described as a daring young man for his troubles. Takayuki Takasau ended up constructing four airplanes during his time spent in Seattle, and all four of them were built in a way that left the pilot completely exposed and totally visible from even the ground. These were biplanes, and very similar in build to the Curtis Pusher that was very popular at the time. Differing himself from what Curtis was doing, Takayuki developed his own unique controls, which he dubbed the three-in-one. To operate the elevator, the control wheel was moved in a fore and aft way, and movement to the right and left on the control wheel moved the ailerons, which were connected to the rudder. A pedal operated by using the right foot controlled the throttle, while a left foot pedal controlled the brakes on the wheels for landing and takeoff. After the disaster of his first aircraft at Thomas, Takayuki Takasau decided to move his test to a more flat and open field to the south of Tacoma, which was actually attracting other local aviators who had already been conducting tests of their own there. By the time of the move to testing grounds further south, Takayuki had a workshop in Seattle that was located on King Street, where he was said to spend nearly all of his waking time. By September of 1911, the Takasau No. 2 took flight. Takayuki took off from the west side of the Northern Pacific Railroad line on the prairies of South Tacoma. The flight was only about a half mile in length, but the real impressive part of this one was that Takayuki was able to land the Takasau No. 2 right where it had taken off. You see, at this time these crewed airplanes tended to sometimes drift like hot air balloons, making landing in the takeoff spot a tricky subject indeed. His assistants, who the local press described as being his countrymen, celebrated mightily. Picking up on the strong display of skill and workmanship that Takayuki put forth that day, a crew nearby that was working on a Blériot plane congratulated him. These days there were intense rivalries among aviators, so they were still probably steaming inside that they had been shown up. In late 1913, Mr. Takasau made the front page of the Seattle Times. It read, and I quote, Death rides with Oriental Birdman but loses victim. This was because Mr. Takayuki Takasau had taken off from near his Harbor Island hangar and went on a 20-minute flight over Elliott Bay, where he swung the plane in elongated and graceful circles, all while strong winds kicked up sand down on the ground. The reporter described the airplane as being homemade, and thousands of odd spectators watched captivated from the ground. 
After flying over Elliott Bay, Takayuki headed north until he was right over Coleman Dock. He then angled and flew over Jackson Street where he dipped a salute to the members of the Japanese community that lived there and who helped to fund the work that they were now seeing in motion. Takayuki then attempted to fly in a wide curve to get back to his hangar at Harbor Island but the strong winds had begun to shift, making the crewed airplane begin to perform a series of jerky leaps, probably scaring the bejesus out of Takayuki. He made one more circuit and was able to get the plane under control before he managed a landing at his hangar. Takayuki followed up this dazzling flight an hour later with another, with the wind continuing to pick up and reporters estimating that the wind rose by over 10 miles an hour compared to what it was during the previous flight. When he took off, Takayuki quickly found himself flying in a massed jumble of air currents and the crowd was horrified when the plane experienced several deep plunges and culminating in what was described as a large side slip. Takasau later told reporters that he had hit a hole in the air and ended up plunging straight down for at least 100 feet. He said that he was raised right off his feet and described the sensation as very similar to that of walking straight off a dock in the dark of night. Then, when it seemed like things couldn't get worse for Takayuki, a violent current of air seemed to come straight up from the ground, which ended up tilting the plane nearly 30 degrees from being perpendicular which was over 15 degrees more than what is commonly referred to as the angle of safety. Takayuki guessed that the aircraft had been plunging downward at more than 60 miles a minute. Maybe Takayuki needed to put on a new pair of pants after that flight. I sure would. According to the New York Times, Takayuki jammed the ailerons or side wings, but the plane failed to respond. He later said that he couldn't remember all the maneuvers he used to right the plane since it all went down so quickly, but they included the front elevator, a flight surface that controls pitch, and the rudders. Takayuki landed safely after three circles over the sound. He credited the Takasau No. 3's unusual design for his ability to restore control. Takayuki was a proponent of what is now known as human factors engineering, claiming that his airplane controls were constructed such that in the event of a malfunction, the pilot could simply follow natural human instinct. I can't say exactly how it was done since it was all occurring faster than I could conceive, he later claimed of his ability to recover control of the plane. Takasau was reported to be currently in a Japanese colony that was close to Portland, Oregon, where he was teaching his countrymen how to fly in May of 1913, with one or more of his planes with him, though the exact number is not known today. It was around this time that Takayuki was falsely referred to as Lieutenant Takasau. The San Francisco Examiner stated around the same time that 11 excellent Nipponese birdmen were operating on the Pacific coast, six of whom had received an Aero Club of America pilot's license, and four of whom were Japanese Army commanders. They were sent from Seattle all the way down to San Diego to educate about 100 Japanese men how to fly. Takasau was regarded as unlicensed yet experienced, despite the fact that he received his license the following month and ended up having several years more experience flying than most in the world at the time. The United States government was not in the business of issuing pilot licenses yet. Instead, the Pacific Aero Club, which itself was affiliated with the National Aero Club in New York and hence with the Federation Aeronautique International, which was established in 1905 and is still active today in Lusanne, Switzerland. Takasau's license was an international pilot's license and his number 219 showed that he was the 219th licensed pilot in the world. Orville and Wilbur Wright were ranked 4th and 5th respectively. He passed the exam on a muddy flat field in Alameda, California. 
It involved flying in a figure-eight shape and landing within 150 feet of where the plane had taken off, which Takayuki was already quite good at by this time, so it really presented no real difficulty to him. The license allowed pilots to fly in 19 countries around the world, and pilots from some of those countries would soon be battling out on the skies. Takayuki was back in Seattle on the 15th of September 1913 as one of at least six aviators from all over the West Coast who sought to fly in a ring around the recently built Smith Tower during Seattle's Potlatch Festival. Fatal currents were whipping all around the city's first skyscraper threatening to crash their planes into the tower's side, so every single one of them pulled back before they were able to complete their daring circuits. Takayuki declared on the front page of the Seattle Times in its 6th of April 1914 edition that he was about to leave Seattle on the Japanese freighter Akimaru. He also announced that he would be taking the Takasau No. 4, a Curtis pusher with his own improvements and a 60-horsepower Halskod engine with him. According to some sources, the plane was a real Curtis, manufactured in California, but I've been unable to verify that in my research. Takayuki himself referred to it as My Curtis in a letter from Tokyo to Seattle, so that further strengthens the case that this was in fact a Curtis. He further stated to the Seattle Times that he would tour Japan for 90 days before becoming a civilian instructor for the Mikado's army, according to the article that was written in some questionable language that was all too typical of its day and age. According to the New York Times, Takayuki's moves had been shrouded in secrecy for the preceding two weeks, and the Japanese consulate refused to accept that he would be joining the Japanese army. Takayuki was busy in Japan by April of 1914. He ended up performing an exhibition flight at Himeji Military Grounds in Hyogo Prefecture, among other demonstrations over the next couple of weeks. The next month found Takayuki winning second prize in a contest west of Osaka, which was held at the Narua racetrack. Following that, he took part in a memorial flight near Kyoto to honor a pilot who had died in a recent plane mishap. The First World War began in late July, and since Japan was a British ally, its role in the conflict was in the fight against the Germans. The United States was and would remain neutral for quite some time. Takayuki wrote a letter to his buddy A.E. Tasuni in Seattle after the war was declared, informing him that he would be going to war. He and his father, a first lieutenant in the Japanese army, were set to sail to Tsingtao, now Qingdao, China, on board the Japanese modified scout cruiser named Saibuya. With the airplane on board, their mission was to attack a German naval facility that was a target of allied Japanese and British forces. He marveled in the letter that he had made his first demonstration flights at the Seattle Potlatch Festival just two years prior, and now he was heading to war for patrol, observation, and bomb-dropping duties. Takayuki ended up as a rankless civilian volunteer directly under his father's command. He would fly the plane as his father delivered bombs by hand, tossing them from the plane from his exposed seat while on their bombing duty. The government had purchased this plane for $6,500 and paid him to turn it into a hydroplane, complete with a swiveling spar, a pontoon, mast, and a sail. The plane could be lowered from the ship's deck to the water in 4 minutes and retrieving it took 10 minutes using a crane and special cradle, although considerable care had to be taken to avoid the plane smashing into smithereens on the ship's side. Tsingtao received word 8 days before Takayuki's scheduled departure that the German fortification had been blasted from the air by a Japanese plane. Many fans of Takayuki and his work living in Seattle assumed that it was Takasau's aircraft that did it, but it's relatively unclear how the father and son duo and their plane fared throughout the siege. 
The Germans ended up fighting for nearly two months before surrendering to the Allies there. The siege of Tsingtao saw the world's first airstrike from a ship, as well as the world's first nighttime air raid. Who knows if Takayuki was ever involved in these, but wouldn't that have been something spectacular, and it also wouldn't surprise me. Takayuki Takasao later ended up constructing the Takasao No. 5 in Japan, and in 1917 he got married. The Takasaos actually went on to have five children. In 1919, Takayuki paid a final visit to Seattle to thank all of the people who had generously helped him. He also wanted to keep them informed and up to date on his aviation efforts over in Japan. The Japanese Aviation Takasao Club in Seattle disbanded and considered the organization's objective accomplished, and also a little moot now that Takayuki was no longer planning to live in Seattle full-time. In 1920, Takayuki returned home and he made the hard decision to give up flying because he believed it would be irresponsible for a family man such as himself to take on such a perilous endeavor. His final plane, the Takasao TN-6, was actually built with the help of a Japanese partner by the name of Ikasuburu Nakajima, but not to be confused with an airplane manufacturer of the same name, and eventually sold the business and the plane. Mr. Takasao moved on to pursue new endeavors in life, including becoming an engineer in 1922 at the age of 36, making and marketing typewriters, representing an American business that built engines for agriculture and industry, and continuing to develop his own inventions along the way. Takayuki's family recalls him as a very happy and content person who was always upbeat even when faced with severe difficulties. Takasao enjoyed his stay in Seattle immensely, according to his descendants in the 21st century in Osaka. Seattle is my second mother nation, he used to say, and I have two native lands, Japan and Seattle. Takayuki's youngest daughter, Kimoko Ogawa, who died in 2014 at the age of 97, regularly told her family of this whenever the chance presented itself. On the 25th of March, 1941, Takayuki Takasao passed away, leaving behind an incredible legacy that today has mostly been forgotten. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a 5-star review and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Doing so really helps the show to grow and expand to a new audience, so any help that you can give in that regard will be greatly appreciated. Sources for this episode include Farmlands, The Story of Thomas, A Small Agricultural Community in King County, Washington by Stan Flueling, The Seattle Times, The Seattle Daily Times, The San Francisco Call, Takayuki Takasao by Catherine Beck at History Link, The Los Angeles Times, The Spokane Chronicle, The Spokesman Review, The Seattle Post-Intelligencer, and The Fresno Morning Republican. Thank you for listening to Episode 71, Takayuki Takasao and the First Airplane Built in Seattle. Episode 72 will be released next week. A special thanks goes out to Al Hirsch for providing the music for the podcast. If you have any questions about the show, please contact historyoftheevergreenstatepod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of the History of the Evergreen State Podcast. And until next time, I'm your host, John C. There's peace on the Skokomish, on the Queets and on the Hull. There's calm on the Nisqually, born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Chimicum and Stillicum, where spouts the gooey duck. The singing still a Guamish and the swirling Skookum Chuck. 
and Moclips and Copalis, where the razor clams abound. A little bit of heaven is a shock on Puget Sound. A little bit of heaven is a shock on Puget Sound.